Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 191. Today, we are going to be talking about expanding your reading with our with our latest graphic novel recommendations. But before we get started, we want to remind you that we have a newsletter that we send out send out twice a month. The first one is just some information about what's coming up in that month for Unabridged. And then the second one is some personal recommendations that of things that we love and just uh, an opportunity to get to know us a little bit better. So we hope that you sign up. You can do that on our website. It is very clear how to do that once you get there. And we hope that you'll sign up to get these newsletters from us. Before we get started with our main discussion about graphic novels, let's start the way we start every unabridged episode with our bookish check-in. Jen, what are you reading? So thanks to Libro FM's ALC program, I am listening to Mbola Mabui's How Beautiful We Were. And so this book is, I will say, I wonder if I would be a little more successful reading it in print, but I am loving the audio. It is a series of interconnected short stories, and each short story is told by a different character, and each of those characters has a different narrator in the audiobook. And it focuses on a village in Africa called Kasawa, and it has basically been destroyed by an American oil company. So because of the oil company's presence, Children are dying. They're they're facing a lot of health issues. Their economy has been upended. A lot of the traditions that sort of held them together and helped them keep going have they they've had difficulty maintaining them. And seeing what is happening from all of these different perspectives is really fascinating. So there's one young woman who is an activist, and in her chapter, you see the gender expectations for women in the village that mean other people don't take her activism as seriously as they should. There are characters who have traveled to America to study and have come back, and you see the impact of that experience on their lives. There's one section called The Children that is a first-person plural narration, And you see the way it's affecting this whole generation of children in the village. So it's really fascinating. I've been trying to read more environmental and nature writing because of the school where I teach, which has that that focus. And this is a book that I definitely want to use in my classroom next year because I think it does such a great job of raising environmental issues and looking both at the larger impact on a community and also the personal impact on individuals. So I'm really anxious to get to the end and sort of to find out what happens. I do not anticipate that there is going to be a happily ever after kind of conclusion, 
I would not say it is the most uplifting of books, but it is really beautifully written. And again, the audio experience is great. I've just talked about before. I'm not as strong a listener as I am a reader. And so I'm sure there are subtleties I'm missing. So I may go back and try to read it in print, but I really am enjoying it a lot. That is Mbolo Mabui's How Beautiful We Were. Wow, Jen, that sounds really powerful. I I had to look at the cover. I was looking on Libro FM when you were talking about it, and I have seen a lot of reviews about that that have been very positive. Yeah, that, that sounds really powerful. It's a very emotionally affecting novel, even though, again, I think you have to be in the right place to read that kind of thing, especially in, I would not call it a summer or beach read, but it is really, <laughs> really good. Yeah, I I don't know if I'm in the headspace, but I definitely want to read that at some point. Ashley, what are you reading? So one of the books I am reading right now, I'm listening to on audio from our library. So that's been a nice thing. A lot of you know that I am overseas, but we have a great library app and recently they've added audiobooks. And so that's been really cool. So I've been using a lot of the ebooks through the library while I've been here. And I am also listening to audiobooks. So this one is Rebecca Stead's The List of Things That Will Not Change. And this is probably, I, I actually didn't look to see what it's classified as, but I would say it's probably middle grade. It is for younger readers. And it is the story of B. And she is navigating a lot of things in her life. And when the story starts, she's looking back on when she was eight and which was several years before and remembering that when there was a major event that happened in her family's life that they got her a journal and at the beginning of the journal is a list and the list is the things that will not change. And so that is a thread that runs throughout the story that's really beautiful. And what's happening at the beginning is that her parents are getting a divorce. And so in the opening part of the list, it affirms that her mom will always love her. So that's number one. And her dad will always love her. And that's number two. And they will always love each other, but in a different way. And that's number three. And so then the list continues from there. She also learns around that time that her dad is gay. And so he talks with her about that and about how it was something that he came to know about himself and that it didn't just happen suddenly, but that it altered his way that he felt as far as being in a marriage with her mom. And a couple of years after her parents separated, he meets Jesse and he and Jesse get to know each other and they have a great relationship. And so they date for a long time. And then as the story is like the present time of the story, they're getting married. And so she is really excited about that, but she also is navigating a lot of anxieties. So when these things happened and her parents split up, even though her parents continued to have a really great relationship with each other and with her, it was still a lot for her to navigate. She was going back and forth between two homes. She went from night to night. So she had to really learn how to navigate a schedule where she was in two different places. And both her parents had vowed that they would stay close in physical proximity to each other so that she would have as simple of a situation as possible. Her dad works at a restaurant. And so he's always bringing amazing food home and he brings it to her mom's house. And so they find these boxes of delicious food in their fridge. And so they do a lot to take care of each other, but she still struggles with anxiety. So they 
help her get involved with Miriam, a counselor, and she has really great, over time, she comes to have a really great rapport with her therapist, Miriam, and she is exploring all of that. So it's a really fascinating story. It's, I think that one of the things I love is B's perspective on everything. So I think that, you know, we as adults see these events from a certain light, but I think that Rebecca Stead does a really great job of showing it from the child's perspective. And that even though there's a lot of happy things happening, she still has a lot that she's navigating for such a small person and such a young person. And so I'm really loving it. I had heard great things about this one and it's living up to the reviews that I heard. I think it's a really rich story that takes on a lot of important issues and then tells them in a really meaningful way. So again, that's Rebecca Stead's The List of Things That Will Not Change. Oh, that sounds really good. I definitely want to get to that one. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I've seen it some on Bookstagram, but didn't really know what it was about. So yeah, you've convinced me. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Sarah? What are you reading? I am reading, thanks to Libro FM's ALC program, I'm reading John Green's The Anthropocene Reviewed. And this is a collection of essays, sort of like a memoir and essays, but more like what he thinks about certain things. And what is really cool is he takes something like a song or something and he he tells a story about how it relates to him and his life or how he learned about it. And then at the very end, he gives it a review, like a five out of five stars. Because and at the very beginning in the introduction, he talks about how the five star rating system has is kind of a new thing that has not been happening for that long. And so in his essays, he has a topic that he's talking about, and then he gives it a review at the end. So I really like this book because it is something that I can dip in and out of because of the way in which it's written with essays on different topics. And he reads the audiobook. And I really like that too, because it's well documented how much I love John Green and his work. I think he's really good at talking about things pretty frankly. He's very open about his struggle with anxiety. And he said that the reason that he decided to do this book is because with his fiction books, people were always asking like what, like out of his fiction characters, what part of his characters were kind of like a part of him. And he said a lot, sometimes they weren't. Like he does struggle with anxiety, but like in Turtles all all the way down, the main character has anxiety, but that his anxiety was different than hers. And people would ask specific questions about how his anxiety was showing up in her. And he just felt uncomfortable with that. And he didn't really want to write any more fiction for a while. And so then he came up with this idea about writing some nonfiction that related to him. And I really like getting to see that process and how he discusses each of these topics. So I'm really enjoying it. And like I said, it's something I can dip in and out of. And that is John Green's The Anthropocene Reviewed. I cannot wait to read that. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely want to read that one. I'm excited about it. And I was excited to see it on Libra FM because I have wanted to read it, but then it was nice to have access through audio. Yeah. I pre-ordered the prints. And so when I saw that it was an ALC pick, I did have a debate about whether I want to listen or read it in print because it's based on his podcast, which I love very much. And so the audio is definitely tempting, but I think I might try this one in print and then maybe I'll listen again the second time through. (laughs) There you go. 
Well, I, I will say the audio is great and, you know, he reads it. So, you know, how I love that. So I'm mm -hmm. happy with my choice to do the audio. Okay, let's move on to our main discussion. Today's discussion is going to be about expanding your reading with graphic novels. And we each have a pick we want to discuss. As a reminder, this is a category in our Unabridged Pod Reading Challenge. You can find information on that on our website at unabridgedpod.com slash reading challenge 2021. All right, so let's get started with our picks. Ashley, what is your pick for this category? One that I had been wanting to read, this is actually a graphic memoir that I had on my Kindle and had heard really great things about, is Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? And this is by Roz Chast. She is a comic artist for The New Yorker, and she's exceedingly talented as a comic illustrator. And so I had heard about this. I don't even remember exactly, but I just saw some great reviews. And then it was one of those that came along on a good deal. And I was like, oh, this is awesome, especially for graphic novels and graphic memoirs. Those can be really expensive. And so I had purchased it, but I knew a, just a tiny bit about it and wanted to dive in. Like I said, this is actually a memoir, but it is specific to her experience with her parents and them dying. And so it's really looking at old age and both of her parents lived into their 90s. And so it was looking at navigating the last years of their life. So I know that sounds really sad, but she is a humorist. And so there are parts that take a light side on what can be a really dark topic. But I think what I appreciated the most about this one and why I would definitely recommend it is the frank way that she is willing to talk about her own feelings navigating this very difficult thing, which inevitably children face with their parents if their parents live into old age. And so I think that's what I really appreciated about it. So she is an only child and she had a pretty challenging relationship with her parents. They had immigrated. They had experienced a lot of hard things. And they also had been married for, I don't remember exactly, but like 70 something years. So they had been together through everything. So even though her mom has a very, very domineering personality and her dad is really meek and quiet and timid and very anxious. And so in a lot of ways, their personalities totally contrast each other and they did fight a lot, but they also had this like perfect unit. That's how she perceived it as being their child, that they had this perfect unit, the two of them. And that a lot of times she felt like she didn't really fit into that perfect unit. And so we see a lot about her experiences growing up. And then we also see her facing the reality. Her parents were well into their 90s before they got to a point where there was any question about them being able to live alone. So for a long time, they were living in the city, in their apartment. So they were living in Brooklyn, I believe. It was in New York. And then she was in Connecticut with her family. And for a long time, they were completely independent. But of course, inevitably, there comes a time that they get to where they're having enough health problems to where there needs to be a move and a change. And so she just talks very openly in graphic form through a series of chapters, essentially, through that process and what it looks like. And she's honest 
about how horrifically expensive all of that care is and how staggering those costs were, how completely clueless her parents were to those expenses. And so they had some savings, but then, you know, they were burning through those like crazy and didn't necessarily have any awareness of that. And she looks at all that in the story. And she also, I mean, the title, as the title suggests, in the very beginning of the graphic memoir, she's trying to have these conversations with her parents about death and about their what they want what their wishes are all that kind of thing and they were always even you know at 95 they're like can't we talk about something more pleasant and just that attitude of <laughs> we we don't need to talk about this because this is not an enjoyable thing to talk about so we're just not going to do it and i mean again i think she just lays out there what i think is true for a lot of people in our society it is a very hard thing to talk about i think and certainly in America, that's something that people avoid. And yet, it is an inevitable part of life and something that has to be navigated and that can be very difficult emotionally and financially to navigate. So I thought it was really beautiful. I really enjoyed it. And it's not, I was afraid it was going to be devastatingly sad. And I didn't feel that way about it. Like I said, what I appreciated most was just that I felt like she was really vulnerable and willing to mm -hmm. admit her feelings the good, bad, and the ugly about the process. And a lot of it was she, I think in a lot of ways she did grieve with her dad, but even toward the end of her mom's life, she still in a lot of ways did not have a good relationship with her. And all of the times that her mom had been really antagonistic toward her, her whole life still weighed on her. And so I think she's just honest about that and how the relationship didn't miraculously change and she didn't suddenly see the light or feel this amazing connection and comfort and yet was looking for that in a lot of ways and looking for that solace and that peace that you want to come in relationships. But she just puts all that on the page. Her illustrations are beautiful and she really captures what it's like to navigate that. And I thought all of it was really masterfully done that sounds amazing yeah, oh my goodness it was really powerful and and like i said i was worried when i first read about it i thought that it would be super heavy and it's not that of course mm -hmm. the topic is heavy but i think that it did not impact me in a really significant way emotionally like i appreciated it but i did not feel like I could not get up, you know, it wasn't right. like debilitatingly sad. And so, but I did appreciate, I mean, just all the things that she said about trying to find a facility that would take them. And then what happens when they get to the point where assisted living isn't sufficient. So that, you know, there's a time where things are costing tens of thousands of dollars a month because they need both the assisted living, but also 24 hour nurse care in addition, which the facility will not provide. And so, you know, it was that kind of thing that was basically just showcasing how flawed the entire system is and how impossible it is to navigate that if people are what we perceive to be fortunate enough to live to that point in their life, what does that mean? What does that mean for them and for the people who love them? You know, how is that going to be? And I thought all of that was really important to examine. So, yeah. Wow. That sounds really important. <laughs> that was Ross Chast is the illustrator slash author. And the title is Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? 
I like that title too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jen, what's your pick? So mine is Jean Lewin Yang's Dragon Hoops. And let me just say here, this is nonfiction. So technically our title for both Ashley's book and my book is not accurate. These are not graphic novels. They're graphic nonfiction or graphic memoirs. And for the reading challenge, you can do what you want. So go ahead if you want to read a graphic memoir or graphic nonfiction. That is perfectly fine. I really like Jean Lewin Yang's work. And I could not have loved this book more. I would say it's it's classified as YA, but I definitely think adult readers will enjoy it as well. So Yang is trying to decide on his next graphic book topic, graphic novel topic, after having written his two book set, Boxers and Saints. And he gets the idea to write about the basketball team at the private Catholic school where he teaches. They are the Dragons. But he's a little skeptical of his own idea because he really hates sports. He has never been a sports kid. He was really bad at sports when he was a kid. He does not follow them. But they have this interesting situation because this is a team that has made it to the California State Championships more than once and not won. And they have two of the best senior boys basketball players in the country. And the coach, Lou Ritchie, who Gene Lu and Yang knows as a colleague, but does not know well at all, thinks that this is going to be their year. And Lou actually attended the school, Bishop O'Dowd High School. He attended this school himself and made it to States and did not win. And he is the coach who followed this legendary, most winningest coach in California boys basketball history. He has followed in that person's footsteps. So Jean Liu and Yang is teaching. He has a family. There's at one point this circle graph that shows the amount of time he has to spend on his graphic novel, on his graphic book career, the amount he has to spend on teaching, and the amount he has to spend on his family. And they're continuously crowding each other out. So again, I think very relatable to adults. But what results is just this amazing book. So he tells the story of this team. And so he has chapters that are detailing different games over the course of this season. He has chapters that deal with the history of basketball. And he looks at why it was invented, why it was a good kind of sport to have in particular places. He looks at the first women's basketball team and the way that women's basketball has sometimes been treated unfairly. He looks at the history of racial integration of basketball and the fact that originally people thought that black players could not play. He looks at the way that initially basketball focused on small players and they thought that people who were too tall wouldn't be able to play basketball because they were too slow. And the way that changed. So those are some chapters as well. And then he focuses on individual players on the team, which that part is just amazing. So you get the backstory of all of these boys. Most of the players on the team are seniors. And you see why they attended this private Catholic school. Some of them are the children of immigrants. And that was really important. There's one player who immigrated from China to the United States in this exchange program specifically to play boys basketball. 
And so he moved to the U.S. specifically to play on a private Catholic team. And he considers the impact of coaches on boys' lives, particularly boys who might need extra help getting to college. So most of the players on the team are Black, but there's the Chinese player. So there's one character who is Sikh, and he faces a different kind of racism. He's called terrorist by fans from other teams. And Yang is just incorporating all of this in this story. There's also this really interesting component where he talks about the writing of the story and what to include and what not to include on the page. And he deliberately addresses writing techniques. So at one point, his wife is a part of the story throughout. And at one point, he and his wife are having a conversation and he kind of breaks in and talks to the reader and says, okay, so you know that sometimes I just use these conversations because I need to deliver information. This has, actually isn't a conversation I'm having with my wife. It's a conversation I'm having with myself. And then there are two little Jean Lu and Yangs on the page having this <laughs> conversation about what direction to take the narrative. <laughs> so it's funny. It's smart. While he was writing this book, he got the offer to write Superman for DC Comics, which was a huge deal. And so he also talks about the reason he always loved superhero stories is that, you know, the good guy always wins. And that one of the frustrating things for him in sports is that the good guy doesn't always win. And so you don't know until the end what happens with the Dragons and their goal of winning the California State Basketball Championship. And so that is this constant suspenseful thread through the book. But it brought together so many different threads. He does so many really innovative things with storytelling. I've talked before about I don't play sports, but I love sports stories. And this, I think, encompasses all of the reasons I love sports stories, because you get this drive. You see what drives each of these players to want to succeed and how they view that potential success as being really important in their lives, as being a way out of situations and sometimes, or as being a stepping stone to something they want to achieve. It's won a ton of awards. So I'm by no means the only person who thinks this book is brilliant, but I just could not put it down. I loved it so, so much. So that is Jean Lewin Yang's Dragon Hoops. Oh, wow. That sounds great. I'm wondering if my son might like that. I'm hoping to get my sons to read it too. There is a little bit of content. It, it would be a spoiler for me to say it. There's a little bit of content that I do think is more appropriate for high schoolers. So I'm probably only going to give it to my older son right now. But I think middle schoolers could read it. You just want to know your own kid. So yeah, Sarah, what book are you recommending? I know I've talked about Jerry Craft's new kid on the podcast at some point. And that book centers around Jordan Banks. His parents have enrolled him in a prestigious private school where academics are super important, but there's not a lot of diversity. And Jordan is only one of the few kids of color in his grade. And he has a friend in that book and his name is Drew. So book one, New Kid is all about Jordan's experience. So what the book I'm going to talk about today is Class Act, which is also by Jerry Craft and is a companion book to New Kid. And this is all about Drew, the main character of this book. So basically, Drew is attending Riverdale Academy, which is, again, it's not very diverse. He's one of the few kids of color. 
And what I really love about this book is that it really talks about privilege and what that means. And I really like the way it navigates it for the audience it's intended for. So I think this is a really good middle grade graphic novel. It's solid. It brings up a lot of things that I think are important for middle schoolers to think about. And it just navigates friendships and how things change and how you deal with those changes. But it's funny, you know, you can you laugh out loud. And when I read it, I got both of these books for my son. And when I read it, I just was impressed with the way that it navigates those hard things and that all middle schoolers face. But then in particular, feeling like an outsider in a place where you should be able to fit in and navigating people who have privilege and don't understand it. And I mean, I just thought it was all really, it was really great seeing how that unfurls and how middle schoolers have to deal with these things that come up and it's hard. And uh, that's why I always love, I always am beating my drum for good middle grade literature because the middle grades are a time when there are so many things in flux and there are so many times where students don't know exactly what's happening. They're growing up, but they're not grown ups. And I think that this book does a good job of showing that in a, in a very accessible way. And again, like I said, it's really funny at times. So I, I really like this for middle grade readers. And that is Class Act by Jerry Craft. My boys have loved both of those books so much. And, and actually my younger son read them. Well, he's still, he just finished elementary school. So yeah, I think they work for younger readers too. Yeah, I definitely want to read those. I've heard such good things from from you all and other places too. I mean, New Kid won the Newberry, so that I mean that's a pretty prestigious award. So I think mm -hmm. I think they've been really well received. Definitely. Well, I think that those are all excellent choices, and we hope that you will read them or let us know what graphic novels you're reading and hope that you will join in on the unabridged reading challenge now we are going to move on and end with our give me one today we are going to talk about a tv show or movie to watch immediately jen do you want to tell us your choice sure i just finished the show yesterday and i'm still kind of reeling so this is panic on amazon prime it is based on the standalone novel by lauren oliver it is based in a small town in Texas where a lot of the students who graduate from high school have a hard time leaving. And there is this game called Panic where if you win, if you're the senior who wins, you get like $30,000, but you have to do all of these illegal things. And last year, two of the kids who were participating in Panic died. So the local sheriff is trying to get Panic to stop, but they do things like walk across the main highway blindfolded. They play Russian roulette. They walk on train tracks blindfolded. They It's just they have to steal something from this person's house who has booby traps set up all over because he's a drug dealer. I mean, it is just nonstop action. It is super compelling. Oh, my gosh. It is so, so good. I, I just, yeah, I kind of want to rewatch the whole thing. And it's it's really fast moving and every episode ends on the suspenseful note. So I kind of just wanted to sit and watch all 10 episodes at once, which was not possible, but you totally could do it. If, if your life is like that, you could totally do it. <laughs> that sounds great. I want to watch it. <laughs> oh, you would love it, Sarah. Oh my God. <laughs> Ashley, what is your show? 
So a series I have been loving on Netflix is Lupin. Jen might have talked about this on the podcast before. She definitely told Sarah and me about it and how much she loved it. And it is fascinating and just so smart. So the main character is a vigilante of sorts who is trying to bring about justice for his father and he is brilliant and crafty and he models a lot of the tricks and cons and all the moves that he makes basically on a book series the the whole series i should say that lupin is a french series and it's set in france and so it's it is a real book series maurice leblanc had a book series called arsene lupin and he loved that when he was a child and he studied all of the moves and tricks and how Lupin was able to do those things. And then we see him, Asan, the main character, we see him utilizing that to bring about justice. And I just think it's such a smart show. It's also, it's in French with subtitles. And as many of you know, I'm in Morocco and very, very actively trying to refresh my French skills long ago. It feels like it was a different lifetime. I studied French and actually majored in French, but uh, it's been a long time. So TV shows are just a great way to familiarize yourself with language and to hear common phrases and things like that. So I've been wanting to watch it anyway, but it also has been timely. And the second part, the second season just came out recently. And that was a draw for me too, because the one thing I remembered very clearly, Jen saying, was that the first season ended very abruptly. And I am very rarely here for that. So. So I kind of was waiting for the second part to come out. So I'm loving it. It is just a yeah, really brilliant, really fascinating show. I love that one so much. Omar Sy is just the most charismatic actor. Oh. He is. He is a brilliant actor. And I think that the part for him and for his family, I just think all of them are so well cast and so three-dimensional. Yeah, just really fascinating. And you really empathize with him, but then he also is doing these things that make you hold your breath. And so I think all that is just great. Great storytelling. Mm -hmm. What about you, Sarah? What are you loving? I am going to go with Jenny and Georgia on Netflix. I watched this whole series, this whole season, and and it has been renewed for a second season because it definitely ends on a cliffhanger. Mainly it's about Jenny and Georgia. Georgia is a mom who had her daughter Jenny when she was 15. So there's only a 15 year age difference between mother and daughter. And And then there's also another child, Austin, who is the little brother. And they move around a lot and they've just moved to new England to kind of have a fresh start and hijinks ensue. (laughs) There's a lot of teen angst, which, you know, I love that, but there's also kind of mystery surrounding Georgia and what she's done in the past. So there is a little bit of like adult, like adult stuff happening, like Georgia, you know, finding a partner and different things like that. But then there's all all Jenny's stuff with having to navigate, finding new friends and all that. So there's a lot to offer. There's a lot of storylines and I just thought it was super compelling. And again, always here for the 
teen angst, but it's definitely, I would say, mostly a YA show, but there are a young adult show, but there is some stuff for adults and I thought it was very compelling and I liked it very much. So I'm anxiously waiting the new season. So that's Jenny and Georgia and that is on Netflix. That sounds really good. I have some good reviews of that, but yeah, I hadn't heard a ton about it. I think it has kind of been like a grassroots type thing. Like it came out and then people started watching it gradually. And I think more and more people are, mm-hmm. are watching it. So I know it has been renewed. So that's good. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope that you will join us in your, in giving us your give me one on, on Monday. We post those on Instagram the Monday after the episode releases. So be checking that out coming up on Monday. Also let us know your graphic novel recommendations and we would love to hear about them. Hit us up on social. Thank you for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Underbridge Pod or on the web at underbridgepod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.